Today I want to talk about the overflow of love. And if you weren't here last week to hear the message on the overflow of grace, uh, I would strongly encourage you either to get the CD or go online and listen to it. And um, because overflow is the will of God. And I told you last week that whenever we consider anything, whether it's an overflow of grace or love or thanksgiving or even provision, we have to answer a fundamental question. And no preacher on the planet can answer this for you. Your mom can't answer it. Your dad can't answer it. Your spouse can't answer it. You have to answer this question. Is my God a God of provision or a God of scarcity? Does my God delight in lack or does he delight in abundance? I mean, this is something we have to answer. Because God, God will only and can only be to you what you believe him to be. Who do men say that I am? He can never be your healer if you don't believe he's the healer. He can only be to you. Now, he can reveal himself in redemptive ways and with redemptive names. And he does that in an unfolding and unceasing way. But if we don't believe he is who he reveals himself to be, then he can never be that to us. Is this making sense? We can't even get saved if we don't believe he's the Savior. So we have to first believe he is who he reveals himself to be before he can be that to us. So I don't know about you, but for me in my house, he's the God of goodness, a God of love, a God of abundance. He's a good, good father. I settled that a long time ago because I don't know how you think, but I think scarcity stinks. I've been broke. I've been homeless. My, when my wife married me, I don't think she knew what she was in for. Because when she first married me, I was a dunce. I'd never been taught. And so we got to the place where we were living on Exxon hot dogs. What is an Exxon hot dog? It's the hot dog you get at the Exxon station. That's a gas station. That ain't a gourmet hot dog place. But she and I have lived on that. And uh, we ain't going back. So I believe in the overflow. Amen. All right, let's go to Philippians chapter 1, verse 9, as we get started. I want to read to you two verses. Philippians chapter 1, verse 9. And this I pray, that your love may... This I, now, this is the Apostle Paul. And he said, I pray this, that your love may overflow still more and more in real knowledge and discernment. Now go with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12. And the Bible says, And may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow in love for one another and for all people, just as also we do for you. Today we're going to be talking about the overflow of love. But in order to walk in an overflow of love, I need you to understand this. And those who have been at RLC for a length of time, you've heard me say this. God will never ask anything from you. He doesn't first give to you. If God asks it of you, it's because he has imparted it or given it to you. God will never ask you to walk supernaturally, naturally. He'll give you the ability to walk spiritually so that you can walk supernaturally. 
God will never say, I want you to love everybody and then not give that, pour that love into your heart so you can. So when God says, I want you to overflow in love, please hear me when I say this. He's not asking you to muster up an emotional attraction. He's asking you to step over into a spirit of love. You understand that? To help you understand that more, I want to talk about the source of love. Because it doesn't come from your emotions. And hear me when I say this, it ain't physical. I, I was doing a, a, a marriage seminar one time and a young man, uh, not, uh, not a, a counseling session. And this young man was about to marry this beautiful young lady. And he asked me a question. He said, Pastor, what am I going to do in like 10 or 15 years if she gains weight? I want to say, you bonehead. You ain't qualified to marry someone like her. Because, see, he was thinking only physically. What happens when she changes physically? Well, if it's natural love, that'll diminish. I wanted to say, what's going to happen when you gain weight? And lose that bouffant hairdo you got. So God's not asking us to love each other naturally. Because if we love each other naturally, that kind of love's easily offended. And that's the kind of love that can switch to hate like that. So God's saying, I'm going to ask of you to love one another with the same, and I'll get to this, the same intensity and passionate love that I love you. I want you to love one another. But in order for you to do that, I'm going to give you that kind of love. Go with me to the book of Romans, or Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit, everyone say Spirit, Spirit. is what? Love. The fruit of the Spirit is love, and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness. So this reveals that love is spiritual, not natural. All that is natural, listen to this, all that is natural, if it's of the earth, it grows weak with age. That mighty oak tree might last 250 years, but eventually it's coming down. Because it's, if it's of the earth, if it's natural, it fades. But if it's spiritual, it renews itself day by day by day. That which is spiritual never grows old. So when our love for one another is spiritual, it never grows old, it never grows cold, it never loses the passion of its focus. That kind of love is not easily offended because that kind of love overlooks a multitude of wrongdoings. Is this okay this morning? Go with me to Romans chapter 5, verse 5. The Bible says this, And hope does not disappoint. Why? Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. One translation said it this way, because we can now experience the endless love of God cascading into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. The same love that God has for all of humanity the same love that Jesus had and has when he was willing to die on the cross 
has been poured out into our hearts. So the way to love one another, like every other act of grace, is to quit trying. Right? It's about receiving, not achieving. I don't, I don't learn to love you. I choose to step into the spirit and love you. So when I choose to be a spiritual being in a natural world, it sets me apart in the same way it set him apart because I love with the same love that he loved. Is this making sense? Go with me to John chapter 15, verse 12. I want to show you two of the most challenging words in the entirety of the Bible. Jesus said this. Listen, this is my commandment. This is my commandment. That you love one another just as. The King Jimmy says, even as. What is he saying? He said, I want you to love one another Remember, and there's another place where he said, the way they're going to know you're my disciples isn't by the dogma of your doctrine. It isn't by the length of your dress and the shortness of your hair and the rules and the regulations you keep. The way they're going to know that you're my disciples is because you're going to do something they're incapable of. You're going to love one another. Amen. So see, love is the attraction of Christ. Where there is love, people are attracted to Christ. Where there's religion and there's hatred and there's gossip and there's lying and there's backbiting, people are not attracted to Christ. So now I want to talk about the effect of love. These are two little words, but they're outstanding. If that doesn't challenge you, I want you, this is my commandment. This is my one and only command. Listen, is this okay? Their, ha their love needs no law. Hatred needs laws. The reason why there has to be a commandment or a law that says thou shalt not murder is not because of love. That's because of hatred. I don't need a law to tell me to do good to you if I love you. Amen. I don't need a law that forbids me from hurting you if I love you. So what Jesus is saying is, if you want to keep all the commandments, keep this one commandment. Just as. Because love will never harm. Love will never be little. Love will never demean. Love will never insult. Have you ever wondered how Jesus was able to show such tenderness and passion and care to tax collectors? Women that were caught in the very act of adultery prostitutes I'm convinced that I know how Jesus saw people see even in the church we're used to seeing each other by outward things we see color of skin we see shape of body 
we see flaws, handicaps, and we judge one another based upon what we see. But Jesus didn't do that. And I want you to hear me when I say this. And this is experiential, not just theoretical with me. Because there is a place, if we'll allow God to take us there, there is a place that you and I can walk in such a love that we no longer see the flaws of our fellow men. Because we see them as he did through the eyes of faith operating in love. The reason why he was able to show such tenderness to sinners is because he saw them perfected through love. Now, see, some of you, you've heard the story. For some of this, they'll be new. I don't want to go into the whole thing. But years ago, I had the very first experience I ever had with seeing people the way God sees them is we were having a prayer line, and we were in Houston, Texas, and I'd been preaching on the friend of God being the love of God for weeks, actually for a year. And we had this prayer line. The, the building was wider than this, so we probably had about, love help me with this, 100 people crossed. And when I went to go pray for the first one, something really weird happened. I looked at this person, and they were the most attractive, most beautiful, most becoming person I'd ever seen. I didn't know them, but I was absolutely in love with them. I would have done anything to make them happy. I would have done anything to make them well. And my, my spirit was like, yeah, and my mind was like, whoa, bro. You don't know this person. They ain't all of that. And then I looked down the line, and here was the crazy thing. It didn't matter who it was. It didn't even matter if it was a man. And that's what really threw me. But everyone I saw, they were the most beautiful being I'd ever seen. They were sheer perfection. And like I said, my mind was reeling and my mind was rocked for days because I didn't know there's no, there is no class to teach you this. This can't be taught. This has to be received by the spirit of grace. The love of God being poured out into your heart where it takes you into the place you don't look at people naturally anymore. Amen. This is how Jesus saw people. You know, the Bible says faith worketh by. When we love one of the, 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 the most amazing thing about this prayer line, it was the most successful prayer line I'd ever had. I mean, miracles happened. And I didn't have to muster it all up. I just walked down the line and people were getting their miracles. Why? Because faith was flowing because love was present. See, you want to know where in the church the miracles have gone? Ask yourself this, where'd love go? When did we replace rules and regulations with just love? Just loving people that they come off the street and seeing the dignity in them. Because if nothing else, they're created in the image of Almighty God. When we're Christians, listen, we do not have a right to hate anyone, no matter what the provocation. I don't care if they're Democrats. I don't care if they're Republicans. I don't care if they didn't vote for who you voted for. If you're a Christian, you don't have a right to hate. Because you have a commandment from the Messiah. Love one another. But, Lord, what if they're not like me? I don't change my commandments. Love one another. I remember, I mean, days after this experience, I didn't know how to process it because I'd been to Bible school. I'm well-versed in faith. But I wasn't well-versed in the God kind of love. I mean, man, it'll freak you out when you're in love with men. Short men, fat men, bald men, snaggletooth men. 
All kinds of men. And you love them as much as you love your wife? And you know that if it required you slitting your wrist and pouring out your own blood in order to make them well, you would do it. See, that's what I was, I wasn't prepared for that. And so I went to my pastor, who's now in heaven, and I said, Pastor Dave, I don't know what happened to me. I feel like I'm a looney tune. I'm in love with everybody. And you and I both know they don't all deserve to be loved. And see, I saw them, is, is this okay? I saw them as perfection. And it didn't matter if in the natural they were scoundrels and liars and backbiters and haters, I saw them as perfect, even though that really wasn't what they were. And I know they weren't that, because I ain't that. But see, this is where grace gets overwhelming, because love doesn't recognize the flaws. Love sees them through the redemptive realities of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And so then the question that I had, is, if, they're, if, they, if in their spirit they're perfect, why in the natural are they not? You want to know why? Because most Christians don't know who they are in Christ. They don't know we've already received righteousness, so they're constantly trying to be righteous and failing at it. See, if we knew how great his love was for us, we'd quit trying to earn it. And when we stop trying to earn and we just become, then now we become what he's called us to be. But as long as we're trying to do it through our own good deeds will always fail. And so I really think that the greatest tragedy in Christendom is false identity. We don't know what it means to be the redeemed of the Lord. So we try to be good Christians. What does that mean? I remember one time I had to go to the bank. And I got a phone call, and I'm not like one of these people that like walking up and down the stores and letting everyone in the world hear my conversation. So when I get a conversation, I try to go outside because you don't need to hear about it. And so I'm standing outside the bank, and it's drizzling, so I pull up my hoodie, and I'm walking back and forth on the phone. And I'm just trying to, I'm like, come on, man, hurry up. I'm getting wet. I love you. Yeah, quit talking. Okay, bye. No, I really mean it. Bye. No, seriously, goodbye. I'm hanging up now. No, okay, gotcha, yeah, that's good. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Goodbye. It wasn't ending. You ever had one of those conversations where it's just like, come on, man. And so finally I hang up and I walk in the bank, and the bank manager's got this thing in her hand, and she's literally like this. And she was just about like to hit the button and call the cops. And she said, because you were walking back like forth like you were casing out the joint, and I thought you were coming in to get us, and there's only three women in there, so she had this. And I was like, I pulled it down, and I said, I'm a preacher. <laughs> you know me. I'm the pastor. And she said, you don't look like a pastor. I was like, what does a, pa- I'm going, what does a pastor look like? What does a good Christian look like? See, we judge one another. Good Christians don't have tattoos. Good Christians don't have long hair. Good Christians don't wear hoodies in the rain. Good Christians don't listen to Motown. So I asked her, I said, what does a pastor look like? And she said, like a used car salesman. Cheap suit and greased back hair. Well, first off, I ain't got none. And my wife threw out all my cheap suits. 
So see, you got to quit trying to be and just be loved because it ain't about being right in their eyes. Is this okay? I'm, I'm, I'm not even nowhere near my notes. It's just about being who you are, knowing you're loved with a love that will never end, never grow old, never grow cold, never lose its passion. That changes your identity. See, because behavior will always inevitably follow belief. If you believe you're not good enough, you'll never act good enough. If you believe you're loved, that'll change your behavior. I don't know how I got on the hoodie, but you just needed to know that I almost got shot. <laughs> Listen to this, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. Therefore, from now on, we recognize how many people by their flesh? No one. Even though we have known Christ by the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. The same verse out of the Passion Translation says this. So then, from now on, we have a new perspective that refuses. Everyone say refuses. Refuses to evaluate people merely by their outward appearance. For that's how we once viewed the anointed one. But no longer do we see him with limited human sight. See, this is what Christianity is. Christianity is about an overflow of love. Where we have a community that we have just learned not to see each other after our flaws anymore. When I sat down with Pastor Dave, before I got distracted, I told Pastor Dave this. I said, I, said, I can't do this. I'll never again be able to preach a decent sermon because I'll cry every time I look at someone. And he looked at me and he smiled. He said, why do you think I act so odd? And Pastor Dave was the weirdest person I'd ever met. But he was the most spiritual man I'd ever met. <clears throat> when he walked into the room, you could feel the atmosphere change. You didn't even have to see him. You just know, whoo, something just happened. Pastor Dave walked in the room. And he would say, this is the reason why when I walk over here, I start preaching one thing. And I walk over there, I start preaching another. He said, because people's pain pulls me. And he said, that's where you're going. And I said, I don't want to go there. Because I've learned the ABCs, the hermeneutics and the homiletics, and I know words that people don't understand. I want to preach good sermons that impress people. He said, you're going to start preaching sermons that heal people. Amen. And I said, well, Pastor Dave, if I become like you, then I'll no longer be in control of my life. And he brought up a verse. Can I show you this verse in 2 Corinthians 5.14? It says this in the Amplified, for the love of Christ. Now, y'all can see it for yourselves. What does it say? The love of Christ controls us. I had just got done saying, I don't want to be controlled that way. I want to be logical, intellectual. I don't want to be one of these lovesick puppies. <laughs> but the Lord does. He wants us to love each other that way that when we see each other, we get excited. And when one of us is hurting, we're all hurting because we share each other's pain as much as we share each other's victories. This is what makes a church not different than just a club. Is this okay this morning? For the love of Christ controls us and urges us and impels us. When we learn to love this way, listen, we'll quit treasuring trinkets and start treasuring treasure. What is treasure from a heavenly perspective? You are. You're God's trophy. You're God's treasure. You're what God values. God doesn't chase stuff. God chases people. 
And when we learn to love the way God loves, you know what we start chasing? People. I know that sermons like this might hurt because I say ouch myself. Because if there's any area that we fall short, it's this one. And yet what's available to us is an overflowing love that cascades out of our hearts because the love of God has been poured into it. We just have to know it's possible because if we don't know if it's possible, we'll never step into it. Amen. Listen to this. When man is love ruled, love owned and love motivated. He does not shrink back from any sacrifice. I'm going to say that again. When man is love ruled, love owned, and love motivated, he does not shrink back from any sacrifice. In the same way, Christ did not shrink back from bearing the sin, pain, and anguish of the world. Look at Romans chapter 9, verse 3. The Apostle Paul said this, For my grief is so intense, that I wish I would be accursed, cut off from the Messiah, if it would mean that you, my people, would come to faith in him. That's love. Love seeks the best, not for self, but for all others. Love is willing to sacrifice all. Oh, man, this is good. I don't know if you're ready for this. I'll say it anyhow. Love is willing to sacrifice all and yet sees the sacrifice as small. Genesis 29 verse 20 says this, So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him like only a few days. Why? Because of his love for her. I want to say it again. Love is willing to sacrifice it all. And yet sees the sacrifice as something small. The Bible says that for the joy that was set before him, the sacrifice was all. But he saw it as small for the joy of you. Is this making sense? So see, when we're walking in love for one another, it's not about whether I have time or not have time. If you have a problem, I've got time. Why? Because love is willing to sacrifice it all. Yes, sir. Love, listen to this. Love is the reason for life. When love is gone, life has lost its reason. Love creates something called altruism. What is that? I googled it. Ain't you impressed? I told you I know words people don't know. Because they all online. Altruism is the state of love where I value your welfare above mine. And that's what love creates. And that's what Christ wants. He wants us to value each other, to esteem each other as more important than ourselves. Father, help us get this. Because what this requires of us is a total abandonment of self. And to truly become his disciples, 
We're walking in the master's steps, loving even as he loved, just as he loved, we love. I heard a missionary say one time, there's no such thing as closed doors, talking about going to countries where you might become a martyr. He said, there's no such thing as closed doors if you don't care about ever coming back out. Hmm. In the old days, missionaries used to put all of their belongings in caskets. Because when they got on a ship to go to a foreign land, what came back was the casket. Boy, y'all are quiet. Listen to this in John chapter 13, verse 35. Pastor, what are you talking about? I'm talking about love. I'm talking about the thing that will make your faith finally so strong that nothing can withstand it. I'm talking about the thing that will make you so pure that God can pour out all of the resources he has already ordained for you and you will rightfully steward them because you realize it ain't about what you have, it's about what you can do. See... No, no, that, that's next. That's, I'm not going to jump. I ain't chasing that rabbit. I'm closing my eyes, and I ain't looking at that rabbit. I ain't chasing that rabbit about prosperity. Okay, I'll chase it just a little bit. The greatest reason that prosperity eludes most of us isn't because God is willingly withholding from us. It's because we're not prepared yet to steward Because we think that if God gave us a million, that's a million for us. But it would be a million for his kingdom. And in order to be able to steward greater, we've got to decrease in self so that we can increase in him. Love will require everything, but it will give us everything. Ah. And God does not have to withhold from those who love. By this, John chapter 13, verse 35, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples. If you have proper doctrine and went to Bible school and can prophesy in King James English. No, if you have love for one another. The same verse out of the, the Passion Translation. For when you demonstrate the same love I have for you by loving one another, everyone will know you're my true followers. The effect of love is the attraction of Christ. A famous media mogul said, listen to this, Hollywood is not anti-Christ. They are anti-Christian. Say la. Mahatma Gandhi said this, all of India would be Christian today if only Christians would live like Christ. (laughs) If you ever study the life of Mahatma Gandhi, he entertained becoming a Christian because he saw more validity in the Holy Scriptures than he did in the Bhagavad Gita. But he didn't see the Scriptures in the people. And so he said, if Christians would live like Christ, all of India would be Christian today. What was he looking for? Love. Love is the reason 
For all that goes to make a civilization. When love dies, all that is worthwhile in life fades. In closing, I want to talk about the failure of love. We just got done talking about the effect of love. The failure of love. The failure of love is actually a play on words because the God kind of love never fails. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And you notice I haven't gone to 1 Corinthians 13, but just memorize the whole chapter. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 8 says this, Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away with. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will all be done away with. But love never fails. Now, it's important to know that this does not mean that love. Al- is this OK this morning? It doesn't mean love always achieves its objectives. And see, it's important to understand what the Bible is actually saying, because if we think that the Bible is saying by saying love never fails, that it always succeeds. Then we see a contradiction between what is written and what is happening. But when we understand that it is not saying love always achieves its objectives. Because it doesn't. Sometimes love is not returned. Not everyone comes running to Christ. Christ loves everyone, but they don't all love him in return. Have you all ever loved anyone only to not have it be returned? Love does not always achieve its objectives. But so what does this mean? What it actually means in the Greek, the word is picto. And it literally means this. Love never descends from a higher place to a lower. The Amplified plays this out. Love never fails, never fades out or becomes obsolete or comes to an end. So there really is never a failure of love, but there is a failure to love. Y'all, you see, love never fails literally means love never stops. Well, pastor, what about if she doesn't love me back? Love never stops. Well, pastor, what about if she burns my chicken? Love never stops. What about if she withstands my advances? Love never stops. What about when we had an argument and she didn't see it my way? Love never stops. Love never fades. It never diminishes. This isn't human love. This is the God kind of love. It keeps loving no matter what the provocation. It keeps loving no matter what the offense. Because we're not keeping a ledger of how many things were done wrong. Keeps no record. But when it's done wrong, it forgives and it risks loving again. Why? Because love, if I'm loving the way God says to love. I can almost hear Peter saying, but how many times? Must I forgive that pipsqueak? Because you and I both know, Lord, every time I try to love that person, they do me wrong. So I guess I'll forgive them seven times. Because, you know, that's better than I've been. And what did Jesus say? We all know it. Seventy times seven. Keep on loving. Keep on loving. 
And it doesn't matter if they ever respond, because if you leave this planet having loved the way he commanded you to, the reward is yours. Hmm. Go with me to Matthew chapter 24, verse 12. Jesus said this, evil will spread and cause many people to stop loving others. You know the greatest danger in America? It's not different political views. The greatest danger to our culture is we've allowed the puppet masters to cause us to divide ourselves. We've allowed them to teach us to hate one another. That we love those who are like us. All right. It's a soapbox right here. <clears throat> we love those who are just like us, have the same mindset, have the same preferences. Now, granted, if they're not just like you, they're probably wrong, so you ought to pray for them. But you don't stop loving them. But see, we've allowed the ungodly to teach the godly to behave like the ungodly and only love those who are just like us. And it seems to me, and I might be wrong, we'll have to search the scriptures and see. I think Jesus said something like this. If you only love those who love you, what reward do you get? Because even sinners do that. What was he saying? He was saying, if you're a Jew, you've got to love the Romans. And if you're a Pharisee, you've got to love the prostitute. And if you're a conservative, you've got to love the liberal. And if you're a liberal, you've got to love the conservative. You don't have a right to hate. I remember hearing Miles. Can I? Can I, I got two more minutes. I remember Miles Monroe being at ORU. If y'all ever hear, Miles was amazing, man. And, and this was back when it was George Bush and Al Gore. I think that's what it was. And right, and everyone was fighting. And remember counting the chads in Florida? Yes, yes. And uh, Miles Monroe stood up and he said, I want to announce something to you. And because it was Miles, everyone was listening. He said, I got to tell you, God is not an American. And I remember the place went quiet because we all thought God is not only American, he's a Southern Republican. <laughs> he's got to be because he's made in my image. And then he went on to say, not only the whole place, and we're talking of a church of about 5,000 people, went quiet. He said, not only is he not an American, he's not a Republican. Wow. Now he was preaching heresy. <laughs> and I could begin to hear the swords getting pulled out of their sheaths and he said but before you kill me he's not a democrat either he's god and he reigns above these affairs that men think are so important so see our job listen to this is not to make god in our image but to be remade in his image and the first the foundation of walking in his image is to learn to love one another no matter what the difference is. They don't got to be right. 
And you ought to thank God they're not demanding your perfection. We just learn to love one another. And say, well, pastor, what if one of us is wrong? Can I say something to you? I'm going to say it anyhow. The truth of God does not make you right. The truth of God makes you free. Listen, and if in order for you to be right, you got to prove them wrong, you're not dealing with God's truth. Because God's truth reigns above that pettiness. Relationships aren't dissolved because of differences. Relationships are dissolved because love died. I want to say that again. Relationships do not end because of differences. Relationship ends because we allowed love to die. Evil will spread and cause many people to stop loving others. The Passion Translation says it this way, there will be such an increase of sin and lawlessness that those whose hearts once burned with passion for God and others will grow cold. The heart of life, the heart is the life of man. Love is the life of the heart. When love grows cold, so does the heart. Love will be challenged. Your pain is love's challenge. Did you hear what I just said? Your pain is love's challenge. <clears throat> I'm going to close with this. Years ago, I was preaching in a woman's prison. And when I was preaching, I just saw how hard these ladies were. And the Lord gave me a, an illustration. And I've never forgotten the illustration, and I've used it many, many times over the years. But the illustration was this, that Every time we get hurt, every time we're betrayed, every time we're abandoned, every time we're insulted, every time we trust and that trust is let down, we take a brick and we begin to build ourselves a wall of protection. Because after all, when you've been hurt, no one wants to get hurt again. If you like being hurt, you need prayer. Most of us don't like being hurt, so what we do is every time we're hurt, we build that brick. and We build a wall of protection, and when I was using this illustration for the first time, here's what I said. I said, you build a wall of protection only to realize when you place the last brick, you built a prison. Because now you can't get out. You put brick upon brick upon brick. Every offense. And Jesus said in the last days, there's going to be so many offenses. There's going to be such division in the land that those whose heart once burned, not only for God, but for each other. We grow cold. Why? Because we're building bricks. We're prisoners of our own pain. Your pain is love's challenge. Will you allow love to gain such an ascendancy that you begin to tear down your own walls. Because you got to tear them down. you got to begin to remove the bricks. You How do you do that? You risk loving again. Because risk is the great riddle of the universe. It's a paradox. It makes you weak. Because if you don't love, you can't be hurt. But if you love, you can be hurt. 
So you got to risk hurting because love, the very thing that makes you weak, also makes you invulnerable. It makes you so strong that no weapon formed against you can prosper. No word spoken over you in judgment can tear you down because love, the very thing that makes you weak, makes you strong. And so we're closing with this. Are you willing to accept love's challenge? Are you willing to love those you've been taught you ought to hate? Are you willing to love those who have hurt you? Are you willing to just let it go? Because of all of the things that we need to have overflow. Listen, and then we got two more Sundays. Next week, we're going to be talking about an overflow of thanksgiving, and that's wonderful to be people of praise. The week after that, we're going to be talking about an overflow of abundant resources, and it's wonderful to have prosperity. But if we have not love, Paul said, I could give myself to be burned. But if I have not love, I could give away everything I own, but if I don't have love. I'm just a preacher making noise. I'm a cloud without rain. I'm a promise without fulfillment. Church, we need a baptism of love. We need to be, and it doesn't matter who else refuses. We need to be that radical bunch that just loves each other beyond common sense. Because you're sitting by someone, if they're in Christ, they're a perfected creature. And for you to look at their flaws, you're denying their redemption. Stand to your feet. Was this okay this morning? You're going to find the Holy Spirit such a wonderful teacher. I was meditating on this last night. Because, you know, when we talk about overflow, almost every charismatic word of faith, grace church in the land, you talk about overflow, they instantly talk about money. Right? That's the first place we go. We talk about overflow. We're talking about having more money than we need. But if we don't understand an overflow of grace as the foundation of all things, then if we had money, we're just dangerous. We need an overflow of grace. We need an overflow of love. We need an overflow of thanksgiving. And only after we have those things are we qualified to have an overflow of provision. So let each message build on the one before. Let each message build on the one before. And I want you to lift your hands.